0: Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach. With me is my usual co-host, retired Navy Captain Bill Hamlet, the Deputy Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings Magazine. Bill, hello. Ward, great to
1: be here. Uh, we are a week after uh, graduation, so last week we had Blue Angels, we had Naval Academy graduation, we had uh, the Commander-in-Chief here on Friday to speak to the graduating class. Uh, we're excited today that we've got a uh, Two, two major events for us. One is we've got Admiral Mike Mullen, former CNO, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, here to talk to us about his April uh, proceedings article that he wrote with co-wrote uh, with uh, Admiral Bob Natter. And we've also got, for the first time in history, in the Naval Institute, we've got midshipmen summer interns. So we have three interns with us. Uh, one of them is holding the camera now for Facebook Live. So we're very excited about having uh, Naval Academy midshipmen here. Uh, We've got them for three blocks of summer instruction, uh, four for this block, and then we've got six in uh, July and six in August. So that's uh, very exciting.
0: It is exciting. So let's get right to uh, our special guest, Um, and let's talk about uh, the April article called We Can Fix the SWO Career Path.
1: So, Admiral, uh, we've had a lot in proceedings, a lot in proceedings today, uh, and and much in USNI news, uh, particularly you know after last summer's tragic events out in uh, Japan uh, with seven fleet ships. Uh, you and Admiral Natter uh, also wrote about the you know what happened, uh, and you uh, you picked up uh, from the strategic review and the comprehensive review, and you decided to write about uh, a particular aspect of this, which uh, you address as the the SWO career path. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Well, the inspiration for this, uh, obviously, uh, sadly, was uh, the most recent events and obviously the publicity as well as the reviews, which highlighted a lot of issues in the community uh, in terms of uh, what we do or should be doing for a living, which is going to see. And the skills that are required for that and, you know, when you learn them, how you learn them. Um, and uh, at the heart of that is really the career path itself i have uh, been in and followed uh... and actually been in charge of that career path at various times in my career um, and have always tried to focus when i was uh... in the navy on career development so i watched our career path uh... over decades uh, quite frankly and um, in reflection, certainly based on the two reviews, there was some my my reaction, and and I think Bob Natters as well is we we very much lost our way, and in particularly with respect to what I'll call blocking and tackling, uh, and for me the most important part of uh, that article um, was really the development of this sixth sense, uh, which we had. Uh, both Natter and I and many others of my generation, which was core to our uh, uh, learning uh, and growing in the community itself. And uh, over a period of time, and it's not to cast aspersions on any uh, particular individual or even time, I think we just ate at it over time uh, in terms of uh, responding to the pressures in a career path. Uh, Certainly in the last couple of decades, we've seen uh, an increased pressure for jointness and actually a requirement to have a joint tour in order for you to get promoted. Uh, In the SWO community in particular, and I think it was when I was vice chief, uh, we always struggled with the whole issue of uh, JPME, of of that education. And when I was vice chief, uh, basically I led an effort to mandate it uh in the navy quite frankly not just in the swo community uh, before command screening and i know enough about the system that if you're going to if if you're going to make it a requirement for command screening you're going to get a, everybody's attention certainly those with a future uh and those are just a couple of uh, of examples uh that resulted in us continuing to jam the career path and thinking we could balance it all there's a, there's a fair amount in the article about the division officer sequencing plan, with which I am intimately familiar or was intimately familiar many years ago. Uh, there's a part of the article that, that the community had supported, and I think with good reasons, uh, uh, individuals who would come aboard, get their SWO pin, and then lateral out, to uh, to other communities. Uh, and I always thought that that was for the good of the Navy because, one, you go to sea, and the Navy's about ships and sailors and going to sea. Uh, so you'd have that experience before you got into one of these other communities which would have uh, more limited to no sea experience. But you'd always be able to draw on that. And I just think we stretched ourselves very thin over time. The combination of all these things... Uh, got to a point where we we weren't developing sailors, officers, with that quote-unquote sixth sense. You also uh, pile on top of that what is not- notionally a can-do attitude, and you look at the operations level out in Westpac, which has been out there for a long time, uh, always higher than just about any place else in the Navy, particularly with the demands uh that have been placed on our ships uh in recent times uh and and then you don't have leaders recognize uh for those who are executing the hey we have to back off some here we're we we do not have the training that we need which was all evident i think in the in the investigation as well and so you get this witch's brew of potential for the kinds of things that actually happened. And, and sad, sadly and tragically, you know, we, we basically uh, in these two events killed 17 sailors. And it's not that, that we haven't lost sailors at sea in the past, but there's an expectation that we take care of these young men and women that raise their right hands and go to sea. Uh, and that we can do it really well. And for us to lose 17 sailors in these collisions and to look at the circumstances that led to both, um, and they were very different circumstances that led to the two collisions, you know, it's a it's a real wake-up call. So we have to make sure that we adjust. And I think at the heart of that is we have to have leaders at sea who know how to go to sea above all else. And so that means we that that means, at least from the what Admiral Natter and I our point of view is that you know we need to we're gonna need to back away from some of these things that we've been doing. And if it's jointness, it's jointness. If it's a sequencing plan, it's a sequencing plan. Obviously and not uncontroversial in this was the discussion about the XOCO FLETA. Um, and I was around uh, in the early two thousands when the community was starting to look at that. Uh, And my recollection was that that was basically a response to the pressure that was there from creating more room, more headroom uh, in the community. So you actually had one more tour that you could go be joint or or get that joint ticket punched. Um, And the solution became to adopt uh, what was and has been for a long time a very successful um, uh, career path uh, similar to what happens in aviation. Uh, and uh, one of the unintended consequences of that um, adaptation or adoption was the amount of time you spent basically ashore between your department head tour and your XO tour, somewhere five, six, seven years. Even if you had the sixth sense by the end of your department head tour under the current plan, if you don't go to sea for seven years, if it isn't gone, it's pretty close to gone. So uh, I think we... I think we hurt ourselves very badly in that regard. And that doesn't mean that there weren't uh, uh, jobs at sea in some cases. But by and large, the bulk of the community uh, was not going to sea as a result of this. And I recognize it took, I don't know, six, seven years to get in place. There was a lot of focus on it in that regard. Uh, I just think it was another log on that fire, particularly in the community, uh, that really took away from who we are. with Two responsibilities When you go to sea Uh, you better you better be a damn good seaman and you better know how to fight your ship Uh, those two things and i think in many ways we've we've kind of lost that uh that focus
1: so you you mentioned the sixth sense uh you commanded three ships uh what was your perspective on uh, how long does it take to build that sixth sense how much time at sea and and uh particularly the the type of time that you have at sea you mentioned a little bit in the article about you know, department heads end up t- uh, standing TAO watch instead yeah. of on the on the bridge. So, can you talk a little bit more about what you have in mind about uh, building that sixth sense among?
2: Well, it, it's going to take. First of all, it's going to take leadership focus on this, and there's a, a lot of aspects to that. I'll talk to the department head piece. We we have much more complex systems on our ships, our war fighting systems, than we did when I was young, and I was there for the beginning of the Aegis weapon system, et cetera. But that kind of complexity has now been adapted literally uh, and and integrated into just about every ship we have going to sea, small or big, and it doesn't make any difference uh, what the specific warfighting requirements are for a class of ship. It's enormously complex. And with that, we started to focus on the most critical watch standard being the TAO, so you took your most experienced people, typically on ships, let's say the DDGs um, and the cruisers, uh, typically, you know, that's in CIC. And so that's where they stand their watch. And what that did was peel off the three or four most experienced officers that you had in the wardroom, the lieutenants and lieutenant command, senior lieutenants and lieutenant commanders who had a fair amount of sea time at that point. Uh, and it took them off the bridge. Um, and what struck me about this, uh, and this was coincidental but it is factual, is I actually was the investigating officer in the late 90s when the late when A. Gulf and the, and the carrier, Theodore Roosevelt, collided. And one of the most uh, obvious and, and in a way um, at the same time stunning aspects of that collision was uh, the same thing. The, n- the number of lieutenant commanders who were in CIC and the young ones, the inexperienced ones, were on the who were on the bridge. And so fast forward from, that's 20 years, uh, and that is much the same thing. Uh, you know, I, I mean, small sample size, but I talked to a few junior officers that basically said second tour JOs or, or JOs who had finished their second tour saying they were the experience on the bridge. They were the ones that we're teaching the first tour, first tour JOs uh, how to qualify as a JOD and OD, get their pin, et cetera. And, and this isn't to disparage their experience level, but you can only have so much experience you know, with four years of sea time, and it's not enough. Um, so that's, that, that, to me, that focus, and that has to be, you've got to be able to fight the ship. So that has to be an active focus of the CO and the XO, the senior watch officer, to make sure... That you've got that experienced talent spread to uh, where you need to have it based on the situation, but to just have it blocked off, which was uh, much more the case, uh, I think, is the wrong answer. And I don't know. I mean, uh, I if you ask me how much time it take it took, I mean, for me, it basically, I was at year I was at sea for virtually seven straight years. I had command as a lieutenant, which which uh, highlights your sixth sense pretty quickly. Uh um but it it takes the kind of time. I mean what Admiral Natter and I agree on in this article is to be ready to command a ship, you need the kind of time that we're talking about to develop that sixth sense in order to do that. And and it is for those of us that have been to sea, um it is you know it when you have it and uh, anybody that's been to sea any significant period of time no you know there but for the grace of god go i i mean i have jumped out of my rack at two in the morning gotten to the bridge uh at the request of a of a young jo looking for guidance and not getting it quickly enough and instinctively and he was one of my best instinctively he turned the ship in the right direction so it isn't just that it isn't just that innate sixth sense that you have it's it's wh- it's who you are teaching, it's who are you deciding has that or has the potential for that uh, as a CO or an EXO in particular uh, that's so important. So all of that is to say there's a lot of stuff that has happened over the years, which is why I think we got to get back to basics, we've got to create the C-Time uh, that develops this, and and we've never, ever should be in a position where any mom or dad in this country worries about, their son or daughter going to sea and somehow getting killed in a collision like that.
0: So early in the article you talk about to that point of the Six Sons and the CO's responsibility to uh, develop it on his ship, you say the SWO qualification seems in too many cases to have evolved into a rubber stamp process. Uh, what, what exactly did you mean by well, that? Well, I,
2: I, Again, that was a buildup over time, but it's back to this. We sequence an awful lot of junior officers through. Uh, the system. In addition to the ones that are going to stay in the Swell community, it's these other communities. It's the laterals. I think we point out there were 70 or 80 last year that were selected, and that's been going on for a long time. So you got to get them qualified. Um, you're also, you've got 24 months to do this, I think, in the first tour, and then 18 months in the second tour. Uh, but you, go, you don't go to the second tour unless you're qualified. So there's enormous pressure to get people, uh, you know, uh, qualified um, and uh, and in that regard uh, you know, f- fairly consistent feedback from a number of sources that COs just felt enormous pressure to qualify and in fact I talked to one you know, Navy, one SWO 06 who when he was in 05 basically he was directed by his Commodore to qualify uh, a young officer or two and he basically refused to do it so the Commodore took him up and he qualified him so there's been this there's been this enormous pressure for a long period of time, uh, as opposed to and and it wasn't that long ago that you had, I think we called them non attains. I mean, and and anybody in a wardroom, anybody that's on a seagoing ship knows pretty quickly uh, who the who the future players are in the community and who they aren't. I mean, who really who really understands. Uh, what it takes to go to sea and who isn't, however they got there, and who isn't going to make it. That doesn't mean they don't get qualified per se, but you have a pretty good feel for that early. And I think we were just uh, too generous, too kind for too long. And, And for reasons that baffle me a little bit, you know, why we would create that kind of pressure to qualify unqualified people or marginally qualified people can't do anything but help undo us, and I think we've seen some of that as well.
1: You write about it, and we've had other authors write about the fact that uh, compounding this is uh, an awful lot of junior officers being sent to each ship, right? So uh, because of the attrition and because of the lateral transfer, you have to qualify a lot more people who can then stay in long enough to be department heads when the attrition rate is high, uh, either because they lat transfer or because they choose to get out. So we're sending 17 you know, ensigns and JGs to a ship. And so that dilutes the amount of time that they have to stand watch, to get qualified, to be on the bridge, right. to, to develop that sixth sense. Right. Uh, and so that's one of the compounding uh, things that you mentioned uh, in the article. Um,
2: well, the, the, the knothole has always been department heads, department head school. Uh, and that comes from how big is my year group, how, how big is my commissioning year group, how many do I take? We just had... As you said, Bill, graduation here at the Naval Academy, you know, and there's several hundred graduates uh, from this class, class 2018, that are going to go swo, and they will be part of the totality of uh, whatever the number is this year across the Navy, ROTC, uh, Naval Academy, and OCS to meet that department head requirement. Uh, and you should do that. We should have selectivity. We've, uh, in terms of selecting department heads, and there have been times where we have been very thin in that regard. It was too close to if you're living and breathing, you can be an apartment head in our Navy, that, uh, in, in our community. And that's, that's wrong as well. That's really for the community manager and the community leadership to, to both understand and lead, uh, know what the math is, and then obviously you, you support that with uh, what are the qualifying requirements um, and how many high-quality JOs can I, can I get qualified Across the totality of the community to meet that requirement, um, and it's been that way for a long time. I think, I think we talked about in the article, you know, what the current number is, and it's within a few, quite frankly, of what it's been for a long time. Um, uh, but that's the target, and you have to manage that. So yeah, it's, it's
0: two seventy three, and it's going to be two ninety eight right. in the next few
2: years. So, so peeling off the the. Uh, the lateral transfers if you will um uh giving ourselves more time at sea as a jo you know long, single longer tours i'll use my i'll, I'll use that term here uh, i think is also important so and and backing away from which is something we did as a community for a long time the need for a jo to see both a crude ship and an amphib ship and again that was trying to spread the wealth across the board Uh, and uh, I think the, the, the urgency of the fix has to put us in a position where we ignore that for the time being to get our sea legs, if you will, right on the ships that we are stationed on, and then maybe down the road look at are there adjustments we can make.
1: So, sir, I remember when you were CNO, uh, and I was a commander at sea, and I had some of the lieutenant commanders working for me who screened for uh, Naval War College or for War College billets. And at that time, it surprised a lot of people that the CNO, you, uh, you personally approved the list. So that the selectivity for going to War College and getting JPME and then filling the joint jobs, and you know, you mentioned this at the start, yeah. went way up, and, yeah. and it, you know, suddenly it was. Hey, war college wasn't just for somebody who you know couldn't cut it in the fleet, or yeah. you know or it, had it was, ten months to kill. Had had ten months to kill. Or, right. It was suddenly it was a very selective thing, and you're going to get JPME. We're going to send our best people to war college. We're going to send you to you know to the joint requirements because we have to do that. And at the start of the interview, you mentioned you know relaxing some of those requirements. So you served as both CNO and as the chairman. Uh, so you you familiar with both the Navy requirements and the joint requirements, talk about that a little bit, about that idea that, you know, maybe we, maybe we went too far in, in the direction of filling the joint requirements. Maybe we went too far in the direction of creating that time away from our core competency so that we could uh, expand out in the joint force and, and, and the impact of that. And, and how do you back away from that?
2: So I think you back away from it first and foremost by saying the core competency is top of the heap priority 1 and everything else comes after that that doesn't mean that JPME can't be managed to some degree maybe it would not be as many that would get JPME pre uh pre05 or pre05 screening and i think that's just part of the heat you have to take to make this adjustment uh since 2005 and uh, obviously I've been gone uh, uh, a, a long time I, I tell people I mean I've really been out of the Navy since 2007 when I went to be the chairman uh, I didn't I was a sailor I had two ground wars pretty significant effort against terrorists and I wouldn't spend a lot of time at sea or on ships uh, so I I really didn't look at that carefully uh, but I do know enough about and even in my time as chairman I do know enough about the whole uh, joint billet world that we've adjusted, you know, fairly significantly from where we were originally to no kidding, these are really, these are really joint billets. I mean, uh, a joint billet is a billet where you actually get joint experience, not just designated, although I'm, I'm sure we still have some that are just designated uh, uh, as well. So I think that has to be taken into consideration. So overall, and I'm, I'm just, this is instinctive more than it is uh, factual, that we're in much better shape for the joint billets that we need that are out there, um, and there aren't as many as there used to be, and they are they are much more realistic, truly joint than a lot of them. Uh, so as we would, if we were to make this kind of change, I don't think it would be as drastic from the joint perspective uh, as it would have been ten or fifteen years ago. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean it won't be tough to manage. It will, and and. Um, and there will probably be some, uh, some, some flack and some damage associated with, with prioritizing the going to sea first. But I, I come from the position that if, if we can't go to sea, then yeah. w- we don't have much of a future. Right.
1: That's the sine qua non.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it just is. It just is. Okay. And I think our mistake was we thought we could do it all. And tragically, these 17 lives uh, uh, have reminded us that we can't.
0: Was it just coincidence these both happened in Seventh Fleet? I mean, was that? Yeah, just I'm. The... I'm.
2: I, there are. There is the Seventh Fleet focus, and I. I mean, I've been around Seventh Fleet and Westpac on and off my whole career, and the op tempo out there has always been higher. But I, I think it would be a huge mistake to pin it on Seventh Fleet. I, these are challenges that exist globally for us I, I think it does come back to basics it does come back to training it does come back to certification uh, Seven Fleet has its own unique challenges for a number of reasons uh, uh, but uh, I would I think it would be a huge mistake to just say hey it was just out there uh, I'd be looking at Norfolk and San Diego everywhere we have ships uh, obviously the Gulf and the med I uh, as well as others so um, until it were prima facie, you know, proved that it wasn't anywhere else, that's that's where I'd go. So at the end of the article,
0: you you list, bulletize the the, the steps that are necessary. Um, There's uh, just at at a glance about a dozen of them. Um, Which of these will yield the most outcomes, the most quickly? Is it the career path first, you know, eliminate exoceal fleet up, Do we have to um, have a more, I mean, you talk about eliminate lateral transfers. Um, What do you think would would yield the most bang for the buck? It's hard to say
2: most bang for the buck. I mean, eliminating a lateral transfer can, you know, that could be done virtually overnight in the community. Uh, So uh, there's a combination of, of things you could do quickly, things that you, uh, that one might, it's going to take some more time. But I think, when you look at what it took to get here and how long that was and the changes that happened over time, at least my experience in these kinds of situations, is this has evolved over a long period of time. I think the idea that there's a quick fix here is, uh, is, is uh, ludicrous. I think the community has to make – and the Navy – has to make a significant number of substantial changes and then measure how we're doing over time specifically. Uh, and if I had one target, if I told you it took, you through your XO tour, let's say the 12 year point or some number, 12 or 13 years, it's gonna be that long before I'm, I've developed officers with that sixth sense under a lot of what is recommended here. So I think, you know, I think it's a decade or so. Uh, before we really know, um, that doesn't mean we can't take the measure of changes over time. We can and see how it's going, but it's going to take when you when you dig a hole this deep, it takes a long time to fill it up. And I think it, I think we're a decade plus. It took I think I was told it's taken seven years to create the xoc fleet up, and I know it was very deliberate. I mean I watched it develop over time. It's probably you know just finally in place. If the decision's made to not stay with it, it's going to take you know that long to undo it, much less uh, you know much less develop the kind of sea time slant six sense slant warfighting capabilities that that it that takes time at sea as well.
0: so what what would the recommendation be to a, a co like near term, understanding that the the, the changes we're talking about here are going to take a long time. How do we prevent um another Fitzgerald or McCain in the short term
2: um well there was an awful lot laid out in in great detail in both those reviews and if I were a CEO, my brand new CEO, or if I'm I'm in PCO I am I am taking I'm compiling all of what is there I then will would prioritize what applies to me in my ship that I'm going to take command of um, and um and then, obviously, I've got to take guidance from my bosses, so what changes, if any, have been made, and hopefully hopefully, th- there are changes which have been made, uh, and then integrate my view of what I need to create uh, while I'm there, or what I need to do for the two years uh, or or 36 months, I guess, XOCO fleet up, that I'm there to make sure we're developing these kinds of capabilities. I mean, if we do away with the rotations, we, if we fundamentally change the, the uh, division officer sequencing plan, uh, there's an opportunity there just provided by time, if, if nothing else. You're going to have JOs longer, and they're going to be better because they've been at Seymour. Um, uh, so, but I would prioritize going to see – I would prioritize my training program – I'd I'd have a hell of a slow qualify, qualification program uh, on my ship, um, and uh, and make sure that every single one that I put a pin on was deser- you know more than deserving, fully qualified, uh, and marginal JOs just wouldn't they wouldn't survive. Quite frankly, um, I mean I would think about it that way. It's that significant, and and there isn't any more important undertaking from my point of view when you get back to you know the downside of not doing this is we we just killed 17 kids cuz we didn't do that
1: so in your article you you make the point about uh, the navy needs to eliminate the zero defect mentality and at the same time you say we can't qualify all you know there has to be some who don't qualify you know if you're not cutting it on the bridge if you're not a good enough swo you know as a ceo your duty is to not qualify that junior person uh, you also bring out the point that uh, the SWOs need to create a system kind of like the landing signals officers in the Air Wing, where when a when a pilot comes in and lands, he gets debriefed within an hour. You know the LSOs walk around to the ready rooms and they go, "Hey, you were high. You know you were high and close. You came down to land. You you know taxi one wire. Uh, it's a no grade, yeah. and it's very brutal. It's brutally honest. So." How how do you weave those three things in? You know, eliminate zero defects. We can't have a zero defect mentality. I also can't qualify, you know, somebody who isn't qualifiable. And I have to have a much uh, more honest and direct and deliberate feedback mechanism in the SWO community.
2: My own take on uh, the LSO example uh, is actually what I learned when I went to see as a battle group commander is – is uh, that LSO example is, uh, is, a, is a very obvious life-and-death situation and that the, the assessment, the frankness, the speed with which it's done is saving lives all the time uh, and the sense of urgency that's associated with that. Um, and I've seen that in the aviation community, uh, which is a great, great part of their culture. Um, it may seem like on the in the in the surface community that that sense of urgency isn't there you know it's not as as visible and as obvious as a you know as a as a one wire or a four wire which you can just see uh, and you can see how dangerous it is but that's where leaders come in as far as i'm concerned i I think uh, commanding officers can both create the sense of urgency the understanding that that we are going to have a objective, fair uh, um, uh, assessment uh, program on my ship, let's say, uh, if I were a CO, where that kind of feedback is, uh, is both expected uh, and then, as is, as is true in aviation, you, you've got to adjust. You, you can't keep doing that. And there are... Situations in the surface community, uh, whether it's going alongside, whether it's C details, whether it's really difficult, high tension, high risk situations. How do how do the how does the wardroom respond? Who who are the ones that can really handle that under pressure? So it's there to be evaluated, and it's there to be evaluated with JOS as well. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't tie zero defect into non-qual. Uh, believe me, junior officers that I saw that were not going to get qualified uh, had a, generally speaking, a, a discomfort level, a potpourri of defects. Uh, it, it just wasn't a good fit. And, and you can see that actually pretty quickly. That doesn't mean they're off the bridge right away, that kind of thing. But, and sometimes it takes time to get to the realization it's not going to work but i think anybody that's been to see with a wardroom for a period of time can figure out you know uh, who who is and who isn't qualified down the road the reason the reason i i mean we t- the reason both adam and, adam and i talked about zero defects is if, if you get into my own view is if you get into zero defect mentality you just sort of tighten everything up And quite frankly, you don't get to develop. You aren't. Nobody's taking any risk at any time. You're all waiting for guidance. And and there are two aspects of that. One is, as a CEO, you got to be the be all and end all for everywhere, which is humanly impossible. And then and then a secondary, significant secondary effect of that is, if you do that, then when you aren't there, which you won't be there, there won't be somebody trained there to instinctively do the right thing, which is going to result in a really, really bad uh, outcome, including the potential, just like the collisions that we had most recently. So, and I went through, actually when I was running the community in the 90s uh, as a two-star, we went through a really tough time uh, with respect to zero defects uh, because we had too many of our CEOs who wouldn't take any risks, so they were doing everything um, and uh, and I heard it from Jos all the time about no risk, no risk no risk. this is a risky business you better learn how to take it when to take it um, and you better teach young ones uh, that that's something they can expect in the future as well to have to both lead and, and manage.
0: so sir, uh- You're incredibly busy. Thanks for coming by uh, Beach Hall. And uh, again, we'll uh, bring the listeners' attention to this was the uh, April issue of Proceedings, and uh, the the article is titled We Can Fix the Swole Career Path, co-written by Admiral Mullen and Admiral Natter. Thanks for plugging into the independent forum here, and uh, thanks for your years of service, uh, and thanks for coming by to see us today.
2: Thanks. It's good to be with you, and I'm delighted to see you got three midshipmen in the room. I think that's Thank great.
0: Life's good. <laughs>
1: All right. Thanks, sir.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for it.